This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you have your Bibles, go with me today to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to begin today in verse 1 through 8. And I'm going to be reading from the HCSB today. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. This is speaking of Jesus. Verse 2. Just then, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the scribes said among themselves, He's blaspheming. But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, Why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, Get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Verse 7. Then the man got up, he went home, and when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck, and they gave glory to God, who had given such authority to men. I believe Jesus is always up to something. He's always up to something good. He wants to, perhaps today, even dramatically subvert some of our assumptions that we make about him, some of the expectations that we have of him. And in doing so, I believe that he wants to lead you and I, those that are called by his name, who have put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, he wants to lead us into a wild and crazy life of faith. A wild and crazy life of faith. You know what I've come to discover about this? It often means we don't know what comes next. Any control freaks out there? Just me? (laughs) A life of faith means that people like you and me don't get to have control over what comes next. Because we're being retrained. Come on. We're being retrained in trust. God's resetting our hearts and recalibrating our hearts to trust him. To depend on him when what we really want to do is depend on ourselves. You know what I've come to understand about myself being a self-dependent and self-reliant person? I tend to depend a lot on myself and my own energy and my own efforts to try to figure out and manage my life. But can I tell you this? Jesus comes along to disrupt, to subvert our expectations. And he does so by calling us into a wild and crazy life of faith a life of trust. And so today, I want to talk about what it means to be a person of faith, a faith carrier and a roof digger. Faith carriers and roof diggers. For those of you that are taking notes today, that's the title of the message. Are you with me? Jumping back into the text, we discover that Jesus has crossed back over and he's returned to Capernaum, okay, which the text says is now his own town. After he left his birth town of Nazareth, Capernaum becomes the epicenter of Jesus' life and activity. It's where he does the majority of his miracles and his ministry. It's also where he taught in the synagogues, and it's the hometown to people like Peter and James and John and Andrew and Matthew the tax collector. So a lot of people are from Capernaum. And so Jesus, after performing the miracles that we talked about last week, He goes back across the lake to Capernaum, and he shows up in this town, his hometown, and he begins teaching. And it says in verse 2 that some men brought to him a paralytic, a man that was paralyzed, who couldn't walk, who was lying on a mat. Maybe you've heard this story before. Now, we don't know much about this man, other than the fact that he was paralyzed, that he couldn't walk. 
and we don't really know much about these friends other than the fact that they were committed, absolutely committed to bringing this man to Jesus. And so my first key point today and the question I want to ask us today is this, who are you carrying to Jesus? And I believe that God wants us to look at that question and to personalize it today. Who are you carrying to Jesus? I believe we're surrounded by people all around us in this valley that are spiritually paralyzed and lame. And they can't walk because they're so bound up in fear and hurt and sin. And they've been damaged by church or they've been damaged by institutional religion or they've been damaged by a person that represents what they believe about church that they desperately need people like you and I people like these men to have courage and faith to bring them to Jesus to care enough about them to bring them and carry them to the feet of the miracle maker I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be a faith carrier I believe being a faith carrier means that you and I are aware of the needs of others that we're aware, that we walk around with awareness. I tell my kids all the time when they cross the street to put their heads on a swivel <laughs> because I've noticed with my young children that they tend to walk with their heads down and they're not very aware of oncoming traffic. And there's this little park across the street that we always take our dogs to to go play. And a lot of times they'll just rush out across and they're just not aware. They're not aware that a car is coming down that road at 55 miles per hour that will absolutely kill them. So I tell my kids, you guys got to be aware. You got to have your head on a swivel. You got to be looking left. You got to be looking right. And I think for us as the church, that's the invitation to be aware, to have our heads on a swivel, to be looking to the left, looking to the right. Wherever God has placed you is your place of influence. It's the sphere of influence that he's graced you for, and it's the place that he's created you for. Therefore, you and I as the church need to be aware of the needs of others. Being a faith carrier means that you and I are willing to respond to these needs. So it's one thing to be aware, but it's a whole nother thing to respond, to step out in faith, to say, you know what? I noticed today that you were feeling a little down. Could I pray for you? I don't know what you believe about God, but I just feel led to maybe pray for you today. Would you be okay with that? You know what I found most of the time when you say that to people? They're like, yeah, would you please give me some prayer? I'm dying here. I'm overwhelmed. I'm exhausted. I'm drained. I'm tired. I, I don't know what to do. People are always open to prayer. Years ago, I was on this airplane and God placed me next to this woman who needed prayer. And I didn't know if she was a Christian, atheist, agnostic, Jew, Muslim. I didn't know what her background was, what her, her beliefs were. But I said these words to her. I don't know what you believe about God. I always start with that caveat. I don't know what you believe about God, but I just feel led to pray for you. Would you be open to that? She's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I got to pray with her. And then we started to talk and we started to share our stories. And as it turns out, her daughter had just been in a major accident and she was just freaked out. And she was on her way to go attend to her in the hospital. And so it was an amazing moment that God gave me just because I decided not to just sit in my chair and look forward at the little movie screen and eat my pretzels and have my little complimentary soda, but that I was actually aware enough, praise God, to then respond to the needs of others. That's what being a faith carrier means. And it also means that you're not afraid to do wild and crazy things. I am not naturally an extrovert, believe it or not. <laughs> I am naturally more introverted. I like my leather chair. I like my Bach and my Mozart. I like my coffee. I like to sit down with peace and quiet with my kids all asleep and enjoy myself. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Those of you that have kids, you definitely know what I'm talking about. So for me, it's not a natural muscle to do wild and crazy things, to be extroverted, to be aware, to respond, to do those things naturally. But the Holy Spirit 
empowers us supernaturally, come on, so that you and I can be people of faith that take the step, that have our heads on a swivel, that are aware of what's going on, that then have the faith, the supernatural empowerment and endowment of God through his spirit in our life to then respond to those needs to maybe do a few wild and crazy things. You see, I believe that we are living in drastic times as a church, and I believe that drastic times call for drastic measures. Elsewhere in Luke and in Mark, there's a different version of this story, and I love some of the details that the writers add to this story. Listen to what it says in Mark chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. It says this in the ESV. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Now we know that there's four. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. All right, so now we know a little bit more about the story. So many people have packed into this house to hear Jesus speak and to teach that they couldn't get access to him. So they go up on top of the roof and they begin to dig. They begin to remove the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, how many know that had to be a pretty big opening? When they had made an opening, they were then able to let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. These friends were so dead set on carrying this man to Jesus that they weren't going to let any obstacles get in the way. They were more than willing to get a little wild and crazy because drastic times call for drastic measures. Drastic times call for drastic measures. When I think about what it means to be a courageous church, when I pray in my quiet time before the Lord about what it means to be a courageous church, I envision people like this, faith carriers and roof diggers. Can I challenge you and I to be faith carriers and roof diggers today? To be willing to tear holes in the ceilings that keep people from Jesus? You see, being a roof digger means that you're aware of where barriers exist. So like being a faith carrier, there's a measure of awareness that we walk with because our hearts have been changed, because our hearts have been turned, because we too were once lost and now we're found. We once couldn't see, but now we can. And so being a roof digger means you're aware of where those barriers exist in the lives of other people around you. Being a roof digger means that you're willing to take action against those barriers. Okay, when you see a barrier, you see an opportunity. When you see a barrier, you see an opportunity. And number three, it means that you're not afraid to do wild and crazy things. I love the pairing of these two things. This this wild faith, this belief that if I can just get this person to Jesus, he'll do a miracle. He'll touch him. He'll change him. Church, do we live with that expectation? Do we live with that anticipation of God wanting to do that for our friends and neighbors? Being a faith carrier says that you do. Being a roof digger says that you're willing to do wild and crazy things to tear at the obstacles and barriers that keep people from the life of God. And how many know that Jesus's life is a good life? Jesus's life is an abundant life. He says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly, life overflowing, life beyond, immeasurable. That's the kind of life that you and I are invited to in Christ Jesus Along those lines, I don't know what ceilings you and I face today, but I know that God doesn't want those things, whatever they are, to keep us or keep anyone from Jesus and the life that he has for them. As Michael Jordan once said, the ceiling is the roof. (laughs) Google it. And so I want to ask you, (laughs) 
I want to ask you today, seriously, Google it. What drastic measures may God be leading you to take this year? As we step in as a church, as we launch Alpha, as we launch community groups, as we do more city serves, what steps may God be asking of you, Rick, Carrie, Kay? I'm not going to go down the whole line, I promise. What steps may God be asking of you to be a faith carrier and a roof digger? I think one of the the most practical ways that we can carry people to Jesus is to invite them to church. It's to step out in faith and to place that invitation at their feet. And maybe, if God's asking you to be a little wild and crazy, maybe to take it to the next level, to tear a roof in the thing by picking them up on a Sunday morning. Could you imagine if the church became spiritual Ubers to this valley? Could you imagine the kind of five-star rating we'd have? Come on. To be a spiritual Uber... To your friends and neighbors. There are people all around us that would probably love to be here today, but they can't because they don't have a ride. Or maybe that's just their excuse when really what they're looking for is for you to care about them enough to ask them. That might be one practical way to carry people to Jesus. Another practical way to do that might be to invite them to this Alpha that we're getting ready to launch in January. We are so pumped about Alpha. Because Alpha, for those of you who don't know, is about an ongoing conversation of faith that leads people to Jesus in a non-judgmental, non-condemnatory way. And people are tired of the judgment and the condemnation that they feel, not always saying that that's accurate because emotions let us down and betray us, but that they feel from the community that somehow in in their mind turned their back on them. That somehow in their mind cares more about stuff and things and getting it right than they do about serving them a cold cup of water in Jesus' name. And inviting them and bringing them and saying, what can I do to get you involved in this beautiful thing we call church? Well, I don't know if I'm ready for church. Well, awesome, because we have this amazing ministry called Alpha, and it's an ongoing conversation of faith, and we're going to discuss life's big questions, like why am I here, and what's the purpose of my life, and does God exist? Let's start there, and guess what? Your opinions are welcome, and your ideas are welcome, and we're not going to close this off to anybody because we're doing this for everybody. We're going to be starting that January 27th. We're going to be doing that on Monday nights and Tuesday nights. And over the next few weeks and months, we're going to begin a 21-day prayer campaign for your friends and neighbors, those that you can invite to Alpha, because I believe God has given us strategy. Come on, we need divine strategy from God to reach people that have real questions, that are wrestling with real questions of faith. And so we want to do that, and we're excited about that. I think it's a great opportunity to reach our unsaved friends and neighbors. It's a practical way to carry people to Jesus to tear holes in ceilings that keep people from Jesus. Listen to verse 2. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. And I love that the scriptures point this out to us. Seeing their faith. Whose faith was it? Was it the faith of the paralytic man? No, it wasn't. It was the faith of the friends. Hold on. That just tears a hole in my religious ideology about Jesus. You're telling me Jesus will respond to wild and crazy faith on behalf of people that don't know him, that have never met him? You're telling me that Jesus, the Son of God, the one who bestows upon us his righteousness, will see your faith and respond? That's what the scriptures say. Seeing their faith, Jesus does a miracle. The greatest miracle. He forgives the man's sins. He takes it to the whole next level. 
And I love this about Jesus because we want to put him in these little boxes. If I just can get this person to say the sinner's prayer and confess this and that. And Jesus goes, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, I'm too good for that. I ain't got no time for that, sucker. We're going to jump into this moment right now. And I'm going to forgive this man's sins because you had faith. That's how good and surprising and shocking Jesus is. And I encourage us to see him this way. He forgives the man's sins. And it wasn't because the man repented. It wasn't because he prayed the sinner's prayer. It wasn't because he even called out to Jesus. It wasn't because he asked for help. I don't even know if this man was brought willingly to Jesus. He could have been brought kicking and screaming for all we know. He could have been like, I'm sick and tired of those preachers. I don't want to go see another preacher. And the friends are like, no, 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 dude, you got to see this preacher. Because his words are the words of life. And he speaks with an authority that we've never seen before. And he's like, no, I don't want to go. I can just picture him, right? Years and years and years of being paralyzed. You'd probably think the same thing. God abandoned me a long time ago. He gave up on me a long time ago. I could have gotten healed a long time ago, but here I am, paralyzed, unable to walk. And his friend said, no, no, no. We've been hearing some good things about this Jesus. And I just believe if you just let us, we'll take you. You don't even have to, you don't have to worry about it. We'll carry you. There's four of us. We got this. And so they bring the man, and they get to the house, and it's full. Like Matt says, it's standing room only. And they get up on the roof. They go, no, we got to get him to Jesus. We've come too far. They start tearing. Can you see the hay and the straw and the, the mortar, whatever it was the roof, the roof was made of? We don't know. The scriptures don't say if it was a wealthy house or a poor house. We don't know. But I could, I could just see the four men just getting down, just digging. And hay is flying, and straw is flying, and dust is in the air. And debris is just falling down on Jesus. It'd be like me right now preaching, and stuff's just falling down on me. I'd be like, what the world is going on here? Are you kidding me right now? I'm trying to preach an important message. And the friends are like, no, we got to get this guy to Jesus. And they lower him down. They build a, a gurney and a harness and a pulley system. And they're, and, they're, and they're just so desperate and so passionate about bringing this man to Jesus that they're not going to let any ceiling, any roof, any barrier keep them from their miracle. I don't think we truly realize the extent at which God really, 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 really wants to do the miraculous in our life. I don't think we realize the extent at which God is good and loving and for us and not against us. But these men had heard rumors that there was one who might just be that good. And so they bring him, and Jesus does the miraculous in his grace, in his mercy. He forgives the man's sins. He heals the man's heart. But because he's so good, he goes on to actually heal his legs too. The grace of God is so utterly outrageous and so wildly good that we cannot comprehend it. The man didn't deserve a miracle. The man didn't deserve his sins to be forgiven. But God, through Jesus, bestows upon him this beautiful grace, this wild, crazy grace. And it's so good and it's so outrageous. The scriptures say that where sin abounds, grace abounds abounds all the more. I like what Tim Keller says. He says this about the grace of God. He says, grace is to be let into a place that you don't have a right to be. Can I say it again? Grace is to be let into a place, just like this man was, through a roof, through a hole that they made with their bare hands. Grace is to be let into that place, place that you don't have a right to be. 
And this is exactly what happens to him because of the actions and the faith of his friends. He didn't have a right to be there. But Grace said, come on. Grace said, come on down. I got you. I got a place for you right here. And not only am I going to deal with your sin problem, you're missing the mark and your mistakes and the areas in which you don't measure up. I got authority to take care of that. But I'm also going to heal your legs too. I'm going to set you straight. And so he tells the man, get up and walk. Your sins have been forgiven. I love that the outflow of that miracle was him changing the man's heart, forgiving the man, bestowing upon him forgiveness. And how many knows when you've been forgiven of much, you will love much. When God bestows upon you forgiveness, your response will be to praise him, to say, God, thank you that you've washed away all my sins, that they've been dealt with. And obviously this was before the cross, but we know that because of the cross, our sins have been eternally and forever dealt with. And so if they've been eternally dealt with, why are you still bothering with them? Why are you still worried about them? Why are you so transfixed and focused on them when Jesus has said, I have forgiven them as far as the east is from the west. They've been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness, and I choose to remember them no more. He places them as far away from from his heart and his mind than can ever be done. And yet you and I are so sin conscious and we're wrestling with the trivial things that ensnare us. When Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. In other words, you've been saved, you've been set free, you've been healed, you've been delivered. Now go live the life that I created you for. Live the life that I've destined you for. And I love this scene because it shatters the religious notions sometimes that we have in our heads. But somehow our actions don't matter in the lives of other people, but they do. That's why Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says it this way. It is by grace that we have been saved through faith. We sometimes want to pin grace and faith against each other as if they're in some kind of cosmic tug of war. But that couldn't be further from the truth because they actually work hand in glove. They perfectly complement each other. The reality is we are saved and forgiven because of the gracious actions of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But we receive this gift by faith, by believing. And in this scenario, it was his friends believing that Jesus could heal him, that Jesus responds to. And they were right about the physical part. But as it turns out, Jesus wanted to do so much more. He heals the man's legs and he heals the man's heart. He forgives him and he sets him free. He goes to the deepest place to perform his most important work. Because Jesus is the miracle maker. Verse 2, he says to the man, have courage. There it is. Have courage. Take heart. Your sins have been forgiven. Have courage, son. Have courage, daughter. Your sins have been forgiven. Have courage. You know why we're called to be a courageous church? Because we're a people that know that our sins have been forgiven. Because we can walk in forgiveness and we can have courage because we know Jesus has changed the deepest part of our souls. We can take that next step of loving and following and serving him courageously. Not just because we think it's a great idea, but because the miracle maker commands us to. At the end of the day, having courage is not about you and I mustering up our own version of strength. It's not about getting all of your X's and O's together, crossing all your T's, dotting all your I's. It's not about you. 
We see that, obviously, as evidenced by Jesus responding to their faith, not the man's. But having courage is about hearing the voice of Messiah, of letting that forgiveness transform you from the inside out, which always leads to a courageous response. It leads to a place where you and I get to then respond. And Jesus tells the man in verse 6, But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Get up. Pick up your mat and go home. Ultimately, when you know how much you're loved, when you know how much you've been forgiven of, when you know how much God wants to heal you, you'll get up, you'll put away your mat, you'll put away your past and all that baggage and everything that that represents. And you'll find your home. I believe, as I've said it before, that home is always where the heart is. And if Jesus has touched your heart and you know that you've been forgiven and accepted and healed, you'll know where you belong because you'll know who you belong to. You'll know what home truly feels like and you'll know where to find it. That's why we, we put on our banners and everything that we print, welcome home. That's why you see it printed on everything we do because home is all about where your heart is. And we believe that every heart needs a home with Jesus. We believe that every heart needs a home with Jesus. That's why we pray every week. That's why we set up all this equipment. That's why we do what we do, because we want people to find their home with Jesus. And I believe Jesus always leads us home. He's our true north. He's our heart's compass. He knows how to guide us and direct us to what feels like belonging and believing and becoming a new creation in him. That's how good he is. It's his presence and his goodness that leads us to repentance. That's what the scriptures say. It's the kindness of God that leads you to change your thinking, the way that you think and believe and therefore act. Today, maybe you're here because somebody carried you once upon a time to Jesus. When you didn't have enough strength, when you were paralyzed spiritually, when there were blinders on your eyes and there was obstacles in front of you and roofs and ceilings that were keeping you from discovering your life in him. Maybe you're here today because somebody once did that for you. Maybe you, you came today even reluctantly, but someone carried you here. And I believe this, regardless of how you got here, I don't believe it's an accident. Maybe you've been wandering around in the desert and you're hearing the words, it's time to come home. It's time to come home. And there's something inside of you that's stirring. You feel this presence prompting you to respond. Can I invite you to come home today? Can I invite you to find your home with Jesus? Maybe you're here and you feel like your heart could use a miracle makeover. Maybe you've been following him for a while, but you've just lost sight of who he is and wants to be in your life. And as a result, you're not living from a place of wild and crazy faith. Maybe you're tired and worn down. Maybe as a result, you've bought into the lie that you belong on the sidelines of the game. And that couldn't be further from the truth when the reality is God wants you in this game. He needs you in this body. He needs you in this family, in this tribe, in this flock, on this team, in this army, because that's what God's doing in this valley. He's calling sons and daughters to arise and shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Kings and people of influence, your friends and your neighbors, those that are far off and the lost, will see your light and come to the brightness of it. Come to the brightness of your rising as you and I step out in faith to be who God's called us to be. To maybe do things we've never done before that may feel uncomfortable, but that just might carry somebody to Jesus. Thank you for listening today. To find out more information about our church, including ways you can give, 
please visit us at CourageousChurch.com. 